Judges chapter number four, starting at verse number one. If you're ready to read it, say, I'm ready. ready. If you need some time, say, give me some time. It's the Old Testament. (laughs) Oh, you got it. Come on. And it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagoyim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapideth, was leading Israel at that time. And she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have, her, to have their disputes decided. And she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. That's how he sounds in my head. And Deborah says, certainly I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Let's fast forward to verse 17. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Hebar, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with the blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. And she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. Verse 21. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he was fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. I bet he did. (laughs) Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, And there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. I bet he was. I had had quite a few titles for this message. One was a tent peg to the temple. That was one title. But since this is the message that I didn't get to preach at Social Girls one day, I I want to title this message, It Took a Woman to Win. I thought I would get a bigger reaction than that. It 
took a woman <laughs> to win. I need you to help me preach today and just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. oh neighbor, oh, neighbor. There, are there are some battles, it just takes a woman, takes a woman. to win. That neighbor didn't like that, so find another neighbor, find another neighbor. Come on, say other neighbor. This might make you mad, but I gotta tell the truth. Sometimes it takes a woman to win. Come on, everybody give God some praise if you believe his word is true. My goodness. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word will stand forever. Holy Spirit, saturate the Winspear Opera House. God, we've not come here today out of religious routine. We've not come today to be entertained. We've come to be changed. Speak to us so clearly. Let us leave different than the way that we came in. And Lord, as I do every year and every season, today I just selfishly pray that tonight you would favor your team, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys to defeat every giant from New York. In Jesus' name, everybody said, just agree. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I pray for everything. <laughs> it took a woman to win. Quick little sermonic survey before I jump into this text today. How many of you say, by a showing of hands, you've never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand? If you've never heard me preach before, never heard me preach? Okay, cool. Quite a few hands. Some people are clapping. <laughs> uh, let me say this, that uh, typically, typically, those of you who have never heard me preach before, whenever I start a sermon, I generally start a sermon with a story. Started with a story that is engaging, a story that has some laughter, a story that has some levity. And embedded within the story is a principle that I will ultimately connect to the passage of scripture that I'm teaching on that day. However, today's gonna be a little bit different. Today's gonna be different. I don't have a story for you today. I don't have any cute story to start today because the reality is when you are exegeting and preaching a text about a woman, a housewife, a female assassin named Jael who takes a hammer and a tent peg and puts it through the cranium of the leader of the Canaanite army. I mean, a story like that don't need no cute story to precede it. You just got to get straight to the point. So that's why I'm with the pun intended. I'm getting straight. <laughs> to the point today. So I'm going to tell you uh, the point of this message today. I only have one point in this sermon. You know, takers, get ready to write it down. Get your thumbs ready. I only have one point in this message today. This is my sermon in a sentence. If you don't get this sentence, you're going to miss the entire sermon. Matter of fact, after I say this point, you can go home. Go to Cracker Barrel because this is the only point that I have in this message. You ready? Here it is. Ooh. You don't get to choose who God will use because God will use whoever he wants. Wait for it, period. <laughs> you don't get to choose who God will use because God will use whoever he wants. 
Oh, I pray that you leave this service today. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, I hope that this gets cemented into your heart, into your mind, and into your spirit to know that you don't get to choose who God will use because God will use whoever he wants. That's not just a good point. I think that would be a good t-shirt. That would be a good bumper sticker. That would be a good face tattoo to get right on your forehead and wake up every morning and look in the mirror and understand that you don't get to choose who God will use because God will use whoever he wants to. More specifically, God will use whoever he wants to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. That's how your God works. He is sovereign. He has that type of swag. He has that type of jurisdiction. You don't get to pick or choose. That blesses my soul to know that before God uses somebody, he does not get an opinion poll. He does not check to see if you got a blue check bought or earned before he uses you. He doesn't see how many followers you got before he decides to use you. God will use whoever he wants to use. Oh, that blesses my soul right there. there there's an old school song. There's an old school song. Some of y'all way too young, way too young to know the song. And some of y'all ain't that young. And you think Britney Spears was the first one to sing the song. And then some of y'all are old school. And you know that Britney didn't first sing this song, but Bobby Brown sang this song in the 80s. And it's a good song. It's good song. Well, it's, it's, it's like, okay, song. I just like one part of the song because God could actually sing this song. This song had a $20 SAT word in the song. And it says something like this. It's my prerogative. Don't, don't. I can do what I want to do. God could sing that song. It's my prerogative. I can use who I want to use. It is his prerogative. Oh, Lord, help me in here today. If God wants to use somebody that's old, guess what? He'll use somebody that's old. If he wants to use somebody that's young, he will use somebody that's young. If God wants to use an introvert, he will use an introvert. If God wants to use an extrovert, he will use an extrovert. If God wants to use a Democrat, he'll use a Democrat. If he wants to use a Republican, he will use a Republican. If he wants to use somebody that ain't voted ever in their life, he will use them too. If God wants to use somebody that matriculated from the upper echelon of the most prestigious Ivy League university and consistently eats charcuterie, he will use them. If God wants to use somebody from the streets that don't even got a GED and don't know nothing about charcuterie but I have a Lunchable and some Kool-Aid, he will use them too. If God wants to use somebody black, he'll use somebody black. If he wants to use somebody white, he'll use somebody white. If he wants to use somebody Asian, he'll use somebody Asian. If he wants to use somebody Latino, buenos dias, he will use somebody Latino. God can use, I feel like preaching this service, whoever he wants to use. God will use the person you don't like. And all while you're rolling your eyes and sucking your teeth and saying, nah, I wouldn't use them. He don't care. He didn't ask your opinion. He had, oh, he had a purpose for their life before you ever had an opinion. God can use whoever he wants to use, period. Matter of fact, matter of fact, who? God don't even have to use a who. <laughs> he can use an it. He can use an entity. This is what I love about God is that even creation, even creation is incarcerated and confined to the call of God. God can, he'll use wind. He'll use rain. Ask, ask, the, ask the Egyptians, he'll use frogs. 
He'll use locusts. As Jonah, he'll use a whale. He'll use whatever he needs to use. Can I tell you, I, I love that I get to preach the gospel to you. Even on days I don't feel like preaching, I still wake up and I preach like I had six Red Bull and some espresso because it's a privilege to preach the gospel to you because I'm fully cognizant and aware of the fact God don't even need me to preach. He'll use anybody to preach. He'll use one of y'all sitting out here to preach. Matter of fact, ooh, God will put a donkey up here and a donkey will start preaching. Y'all don't read your Bible. God can use anything. And he won't ask your opinion of who he wants to use. I'm glad that you're here praising God today, but he doesn't even need you to praise him because if you kept quiet, the rocks would cry out give him praise. If he wants to use a man, he'll use a man. But if he wants to use a woman, he will use a woman. And what I want to argue today is there are actually some battles that only a woman can win. There are some battles that I'm sorry, fellas, it takes a woman to win. Let's be honest. Some of y'all are here today because some grandmama, some mama was praying for you. That's why you couldn't even enjoy yourself in the world. That's why you were crying in the club. They were bringing out bottles and you were like, something about this ain't right. That's because a grandmama was down on her knees saying, God, bring them back to you. I plead the blood of Jesus over my baby. They out there in the streets, but God, they got a call. God, they got a purpose. That's why you in church because there are some battles. Oh, it takes a woman to win. Where would we be without the women of God that started movements? Where would we be without the Mariah Woodworth Edders? Where would we be without the Corey Tim Booms? Where would we be without the Harriet Tudmans and the Sojourner Truths? Where would we be without these mighty women of God that aren't always pushed to the forefront, yet God strategically used them to bring revival and reformation and change in the earth? Some battles it takes a woman to win. Well, could you give us some scripture? Okay, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 perhaps is one of the most powerful verses of scripture because all the way in the book of Genesis, hear me, after the fall of man, after Adam and Eve have jacked up and taken up the forbidden fruit. But understand, Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Adam knew what was going on. Brahman knew the deal. She was tricked. She was deceived. Still responsible, just like Adam, but she was deceived. And right when she thought all hope was lost, God, even in his judgment, had mercy. Genesis 3.15. He said, look at what's going to happen. He said, guess what, woman? I'm going to put enmity, hostility between your seed and between the seed of the serpent. His seed is going to bruise your heel. But your seed is going to crush his head. God has always been about crushing heads. What is he saying? He is looking at Eve and he's saying, I know you feel like you've messed up and I know you feel like all hope is lost, but guess what? It is through the womb of a woman that I'm going to redeem what Adam messed up. It's not going to be you, Eve. I'm looking at you, Eve, but I'm talking to a girl from Bethlehem all the way thousands of years in the future. She is going to have the Holy Spirit overshadow her and she's going to give birth to the son of the living God and where the first man Adam chose to die with his bride thank God for Jesus the second man Adam who said I'm going to die for my bride oh thank God that even Jesus had to be birthed through a woman because some battles only a woman can win 
And we see this all the way from the book of Genesis, verse number, chapter 3, verse number 15, where God is strategically showing us that there are some battles it takes a woman to win. And we love stories of Mary, don't we? Christmas is coming up, and we'll sing and we'll shout about Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> I guess the thing I want to bring today is how come... How come nobody say hell JL? How come nobody talks about sister girl that we read about today? Do you know how long I've been in church? Y'all, I'm a proud Sunday school alumnus. I feel like I've been walking with the Lord since the third trimester of Pastor Honey's pregnancy, okay? I was raised in church and I never heard nobody preach on sister girl JL who took a tent peg and put it with a hammer through the head of the enemy. Nobody talks about JL. Oh, we love to talk about Mary. I heard a bunch of sermons about Mary every Christmas I hear about Mary. Oh, we love to preach sermons about Sarah, the great matriarch of our faith. Wasn't she awesome? Gave birth to the promised seed, Isaac. We talk about who? Ruth, don't we? How many singles conferences have you been to? Tell my Lord, give me my Boaz this year. We talk about Ruth. We talk about Hannah, how she prayed for God to give her a child. All throughout the New Testament, we talk about the woman with the issue of blood and how she pressed her way through the crowd. We love all these images. We love Queen Esther. You remember Queen Esther who was called for such a time as this, but she just walked in and had all her Mary Kay and Mac makeup on and just stood and looked pretty. And I'm all for all those images of womanhood. But I think sometimes we bring our own gender bias to it and we're afraid of a woman warrior. We're afraid of JL who said, yes, I look good and yes, I got it going on, but don't get it twisted. If I need to pull out a hammer and if I need to get a tent peg, I will do whatever needs to be done to get the victory. Oh, somebody should preach about JL more. How many girls have we robbed in Sunday school? Because nobody talk about JL. We cool with David and Goliath. You know, slingshot, shots to the head. But wouldn't it just be awesome in one of those little Sunday school classes when you're talking about David and Goliath shot to the head that a little girl goes, I'd like to, I'd like to get somebody a shot to the head. Oh, really? Let me tell you another Bible story about JL who took a tent peg and put it through the cranium of Sisera. This is a man, hear me, who had been attacking the children of Israel for over 20 years, destroying their families, destroying their homes, putting them in bondage and captivity. And finally, J.L. said, enough is enough. Before I really delve into the details of the life of J.L., let me just put her in context of the scripture because her story is found in the book of Judges. Judges chapter four, and then she's mentioned in a song in Judges chapter five. And you have to understand the book of Judges might be one of the most depressing books in all the Bible. If you're going to the crib, like read the Gospel of John, don't start with Judges, okay? Because Judges is kind of depressing, and one of the reasons it's depressing is because all you're reading in Judges is the sixth cycle of sin that the children of Israel went in over and over and over again. It's just a repetitive cycle of sin. It starts like this. The children of Israel would always do evil in the eyes of the Lord. After they do it, do it, do the evil, God would sell them or give them over to one of their enemies. And when he gave them over to the enemy, all of a sudden they would repent and say, God, we're sorry, we ain't gonna do this no more. This sound familiar to some of y'all. God, please, I promise I will never date somebody like that again. And then God raises up. <laughs> I didn't say that first service, so that's for somebody. God then raises up 
a judge. He raises up a deliverer and then they repent and come back to God. But once that judge dies, they go right back into sinning again. That is the book of Judges over and over and over again. They would do wrong. Then they would cry out to God for a deliverer. God would send a deliverer, but before that, he would give them over to an enemy to get them to cry out for repentance. Isn't that crazy that God would use an enemy to get your attention? <laughs> it almost seems cruel. It's like, God, why don't you just speak to me? But some of us don't understand when he speaks. So he has to put you in a situation to get your attention. God, who he used an enemy to get his children's attention. I don't think he should use an enemy to get their attention. That's cool. But don't forget the point of my sermon today. You don't get to choose who God will use because God will use whoever he wants. That means your enemies. That means your haters. I wish some of y'all would just shut up about your haters. Some of y'all, first of I don't even have any haters and the other ones of you the haters are actually doing more than your friends your haters are making you better your enemies are making you pray they're actually making you have more discipline yeah. and so this cycle repeats itself over and over again and in the book of Judges you will see that 12 judges God raises up 12 judges let's see if I can remember all 12 of the judges that God raised up. There was, uh, there was, let's see, let me think. There was Othiniel, there was Ehud, there was Shamgar, there was Gideon, there was Tola, there was Jer, there was Jephthah, there was Isbon, there was Elon, there was Abdon, and there was Samson. How many that is? 11? Who's the 12? I'm tripping. No, there was Othiniel, there was Ehud, there was Shamgar, there was Gideon, there was Tola, there was Jar, there was Jephthah, there was Ibzon, there was Elon, there was Abdon, there was Samson, and... Did I say 11? Who's the last one? Who's the last one? Oh yeah, Deborah. Deborah, the woman of God that God raised up. I like Deborah because Deborah's name, guess what it means? Be. That's what it translates to mean, be. I want you to look at your neighbor and help me preach and just say, neighbor, let me be me. Let me be me. Be who God has created and called you to be. So many of us, when we step into our call, we feel like we got to be somebody else. <laughs> it, it makes me laugh all the time. But some people, they come to faith and all of a sudden you, you don't learn Christianese in a day and you just, bless the Lord. Praise the Hallelujah. Yes, I was reading the book of Palms and Job yesterday. You ain't even saying it right. Just be, be who God created you to be. Some of y'all are new to faith. I know it's social. You're gonna have this pressure to start being somebody else. And yes, God is changing you, but God wants to use your own unique personality. He wants to use your own unique gifting and grace to do what he's called you to be. Her name means be. I love that she's a bee because she is a prophet and she's a judge. A prophet and she's a judge. Judges administer justice. Prophets proclaim what thus saith the Lord and speak the truth. Ooh, no wonder she's a bee. Because I mean, you know, when you encounter a bee, they can make some honey, which is so sweet. That is justice. But they also can sting you when they need to. And that is the truth. I believe in this last day, God is raising up a generation that is going to stand for justice and truth. That's going to stand for righteousness and peace. That's going to stand for mercy and truth coming together. This is Deborah. And Deborah pulls up on Barak, who is the general of the Israelite army. And she says to him, has not the Lord commanded us to go fight? In other words, what you doing, bro? Let's go fight. Let's go get the victory. 
And when I heard what Barack said back, oh, it made me mad. This dude says, well, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you ain't gonna go, I ain't gonna go. Oh, and I felt some type of way towards Barack because I'm like, come on, man, get some backbone. Do some, do some push-ups, man, come on. What you mean? You, gonna, you, you should look at her and say, hey, I was already ready to go. I'm getting the truths together right now. If you wanna go, that's cool, I'm gonna go anyway. Why in the world would you say, well, if you go with me, then I'll go. But if you ain't gonna go, then I think I'm just gonna stay here. And I judged him, I judged him from a distance. But then I started doing my homework and I realized who he was going up against. Huh. It is so easy to judge somebody's battle from a distance. So I would have had more faith than that, would you? You ain't in my fight. You sure you would have had that faith? I cannot completely castigate Barak because he actually made the Hebrews Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So even though he had reluctant faith, he still had some type of faith. Oh, I'm telling you, I judged him and thought he was a coward until I started doing my due diligence and I realized who he was going up against. Understand the king of Jabin and Sisera, they had, some scholars say, an army of 300,000 men. They had 10,000 in their cavalry. They had 3,000, some scholars say, chariots, and 900 of them were made of solid iron. They were sophisticated in their weaponry. They were powerful. Oh yeah, it's easy to say, man, I would have knocked him out. Oh really? Let's see if he was coming for your head, what you would do. Everybody on the sideline always got something to say, just like it's football season. Oh, how could he throw that pass? Let's put you on the field, homie. And see, when you got a 400-pound lineman coming after you, it's easy. Oh, how could he make that mistake? How could you? You sit up there eating guacamole and pizza. You couldn't have done it. Isn't it crazy how we judge the battle from a distance? And I said, Barack, I didn't realize what you were going up against. This was a massive army, and the children of Israel only had 10,000 people. And they weren't trained to fight. They didn't even have the right weapons. They had like pitchforks <laughs> and farming tools. God didn't train them. Well, how in the world can you fight a battle like that when they have iron, iron chariots? This is like going against tanks and here they are trying to fight them and yet they still had the advantage. This is why I love Deborah, this powerful woman of God is trying to say, I know we don't have the militaristic training. I know we ain't got the weapons, but we do have one thing going for us and that one thing is more important than anything else. Ooh, don't shout before I show you the scripture. Look at what she said to him in Judges chapter 4, verse 14. Deborah says, get ready. This is the day. The Lord will give you victory over Sisera for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Oh, in other words, get ready to fight, Barack. I know we ain't got the most soldiers. I know we don't got the weaponry, but we got something going for us. God's already given us the victory and God has already marched ahead of us. I don't know who this is for, but you don't think you got the right weapons and you don't think you got the right resume. But the only thing you need on your resume is to know that God has gone before you, that God has already given it to you and there's somebody in here that can testify that the only reason I got some of the stuff I got oh it wasn't my intellect it wasn't my credit score it wasn't my gifting the only reason I'm still here is because God oh went before me oh don't start acting brand new don't start acting bougie you know who you could have been if God hadn't gone before you you better always give the glory to the one that gave you the victory 
I want to take a little praise break for somebody that knows the only way you won is because God went before you. God gave you the victory. Sit up here with your lips zipped in church like it was you that won the battle. You might have been fighting, but it was God's grace behind you. It was the Holy Spirit empowering you. That's the only way I can fight. That's the only thing social, God, is that God has gone before us. That one thing is the only thing that'll get you the victory. How many times do we look at our training and do we get stuck in our insecurity and insufficiencies? It's like, God, I ain't, God, I ain't got no, God, they got iron chariots. I got a pitchfork. God, how am I, God, I don't have the education. God, I don't have this, I don't have that. And you've been so focused on what you don't have. You've forgotten what you do have. That he has gone before you. So Deborah says, let's go. I'm with you. I ain't never been scared. Here comes Deborah and Barak and 10,000 troops facing perhaps 300,000. And they start in the mountain of Tabor and then they quickly advance down by the valley of Kishon, by the river, to fight. They start in the mountain, but they go down in the valley to fight this army that's bigger than them, that has better weapons than them. Can you see them? Going, Lord, what are we going to do? I don't know if you've ever studied the Bible and looked at God's military strategy. It is always jacked up. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Study the military strategy of God, and you'll be like, this dude is up there smoking on something. (laughs) Because none of it makes any sense. No logic. Just read it. Just, just read Judges. He's he sitting up here downsizing armies. Oh, yeah, you got too many people. Excuse me? Yeah, for the battle, you got too many people. We, too many people. Yeah, cut them down. Why? I don't like the way they drink water. Excuse me? <laughs> the dumbest stuff. I, I send the worship team in front. Lord, we ain't, we ain't making an album. We fighting. No, put them in the front. <laughs> Oh, here's one. Walk, walk around the wall and yell. <laughs> it looks stupid. But when he's gone before you. I feel this in my spirit. This is for somebody that looks so stupid in this season right now. And people are laughing at you. Talking about for real? You doing that? You, you ain't even got a job? You tithing on unemployment? You giving when you ain't got your yourself? I know it looks stupid. The only thing I got is that he went before me. Woo! And here they are. You got to see it. They're in the valley and they're fighting an army that's bigger and better. And you don't get this little bitty powerful detail until you read Judges chapter 5. But I need you to see what happened in the valley. Because they're fighting them. They're outnumbered. They got better weapons. They're covered in their iron chariots. And no wonder Deborah said, go quick, because something happened in the atmosphere. We're at the Winsphere Opera House. Thank you, God, for setting up the acoustics of this room for this illustration. Because here they are in the valley with the Kishon River, which, by the way, should have been dried in this season. But all of a sudden, something happened in the atmosphere. 
as they're getting ready to fight. And I need you to help me do it. Everybody just put this finger like this. Can I see the finger like that? Yeah, just one. I want one. I see y'all at the top. Here we go, right there. And can you get this hand right here? Yeah, and just do this for me, do this. As hard as you can. Yeah. See, they're in the valley. And all of a sudden, stay with me. All of a sudden, when they're getting ready to fight and they're outnumbered, it starts, it starts raining. I know who this is for. Don't stop clapping because I don't want the rain to stop. I'm talking to somebody that's out of army that's outnumbered you and you don't got the weapons. But what good is an iron chariot when it's stuck in the mud because you serve a God that knows how to make it rain. And all of a sudden, the iron chariots are stuck because God is the God that can use anything. He can use the rain. And when the rain started coming down, they had to get out of their iron chariots and start fighting. Oh, somebody needs to give God some praise like you hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I wish I had an organ in this place. God sent the rain. Who knew God can use rain in a fight? I knew God could use rain in the fight. You know how I knew? Put my point back up in there. You don't get to choose who God will use because God will use whoever he wants, period. And the rain caused them to get stuck to their iron chariots and they had to fight in physical combat. Now I understand why the Bible says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the Lord our God. Bring it to the 21st century. Some trust in paychecks, some trust in the Dow Jones and their stocks, but I trust in the Lord. I trust in the God who gave me the victory and who already went before me. This is so simple it should make you shout. The fact that the only thing you got going for you is that he went before you. And all of a sudden, watch what happens. I'm almost done. They fight in hand-to-hand combat. The Israelites defeat every single one of them. It says no man was standing. And all of a sudden, watch this. Sisera, the commander of the army, <laughs> when he realizes all his men were dead, I'm in the text, he left. He fled. I don't blame him. You got to know when to hold him. You got to know when to fold him. It's like, oh, oh, oh. All y'all dead. Yep, that's my cue. All right. He left. He left. He, he deserted all of them. If I had time, which I do, I, I would tell you, I would tell you that's interesting to note that the Canaanites worshiped the god Baal. And they believed that Baal was in charge of the rain. So when it was the rain that caused them to lose, 
it proved that their God was not the true God and that Baal wasn't really in control. Oh, oh, somebody needs to know. In spite of what you're going through right now, the battle's going to prove who's really in control. And watch this. He takes off running. And here's where he runs. He runs to the area of J.L., who was married. She's just an ordinary housewife. Her husband's name is Heber. He runs in the direction of Heber. Let the church say Heber. Heber. Say it with your chest. Say Heber. Heber. Anybody in here, you single? Single? Can I see your hand? You single? No commercials. <laughs> That's the whole church. <laughs> what y'all doing? Have you met? <laughs> Is that why you're here? Um, JL is married to Heber. Heber. Those of you who are single, um, marriage advice for free. Okay, it's free. Uh, it's your prerogative. Do whatever you want to do. But if you're going to marry somebody, don't marry Heber. Don't pick, like if you're on the first date, what's your name? Heber. Run. No, just run. Say, I'm so sorry, we can't do it. Don't marry Heber because JL, this woman warrior, is married to Heber. Heber is a Kenite. He's a Kenite that is connected to Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. So he has some type of connection to the Israelites. And yet, if you look at verse 11, read it when you get to the crib, you'll note where he chose to live. Heber chose to live in an area where he could play both sides. He was friendly with the Canaanites, and he was friendly with the Israelites. As a matter of fact, history tells us that the Kenites worked with weapons. So he's making weapons for the Israelites, and he's making weapons for the enemy. He's in the middle. Don't marry. Don't date. Don't be connected to Hebrews. Heber has no problem coming to church on Sunday. Heber loves the Lord, but Heber loves the world too. Heber is what the book of James calls a double-minded person that's unstable in all of their ways. Heber has one foot in and one foot out. Heber's name translates to mean ally, which means I'm going to be a friend with the world and I'm going to be a friend of God too. I'm not going to be on fire for God and go all the way, but I'm not going to go all the way in the world either. I just want to play both sides. And how many know when you are playing both sides, it's only a matter of time that you only fall on one side and it's generally not the side of the Lord and it's high time to stop playing games. If you're going to be all the way in the world, then do that and be all the way in the world. But if you're going to be in the house of God, come on, man. Come on, women. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Say, I have some boundaries. Say, I have some integrity. I got some character. I'm not just professing something on Sunday that changes on Monday through Saturday. It's a mixture that we love sometimes. Heber is playing both sides. Oh, now I see why Sisera felt like it was safe to run to the tent of Heber. Heber had a peace treaty with him. 
So he said, oh, I know I'm running from the enemy, but I can go to Heber. He'll take care of me because Heber plays both sides. And look at Sisera running, afraid, thinking he can get to Heber's house. Come on, where's Heber's tent? I just got to find Heber because I know Heber's my dude. He, he plays both sides. He's going to take care of me even though I'm on the run. But here's what I love about it. Heber wasn't home. JL. standing right in front of the tent. Oh, hi, Cicero. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes, Heber's not home. Because sometimes it takes a woman to win the battle. I'm landing the plane. I want you to see how cunning and how brilliant JL is. She goes up to Heber outside of the tent. She says, look what she says. I'm in the text. My Lord, my Lord, don't be afraid. Coming to the tent. She's not calling him Savior, but she understands that he is a general of an army. And if she's going to gain his trust, she must come to him with respect. I'm going somewhere. This is an evil general. Evil. He has been assassinating and destroying the children of Israel for 20 years. And yet JL is smart enough to know that if I'm going to get a man to trust me, I cannot come to him with disrespect. Respect is his love language. Preach the Bible. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul starts teaching on marriage, he commands the husband first to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then he commands the woman to what? Respect your husband. Why? Because it's difficult for men to love the way Christ loved. And sometimes it's difficult for women to honor, especially when your man is acting a fool. That's why he puts those restrictions. So I want to speak to some lady in here today, and fellas, you can thank me later. If you want to get his attention, come to him with honor. Come to him with respect. There ought to be some things you just don't say about your baby daddy in front of your child. You might not respect his behavior, but can you honor the position of him as the father because your son is listening and your daughter is listening? Oh, I wasn't going to get no amens right there. Isn't it crazy? That JL, because she wanted to gain the trust, didn't roll up and say, ah, let me tell you something, Cicero, you about to die. You ain't got no man. I can't stand you. I'm about to kill you. You ain't nobody. We're your little army now. We're your little army. <laughs> you know how y'all do. We're your little army. We're your little, we're your little iron chariot now. <laughs> she don't do that. <laughs> Look at, look, at, look, at how she, look at how she plays him. Says, my Lord, my Lord, don't be afraid. She comforts. She gets a dude that probably built like Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> to come into her tent. Okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It takes a woman to win. Don't be afraid. Come on. Uh, you're tired, ain't you? fighting that battle. Come on in here. Come on. Relax. Don't be afraid. You ain't got nothing to fear. Come on. Gets him in the tent. The Bible says the first thing she does, this housewife, first thing she does is she covers him. I told the team, I said, get me a diaper bag. 
because it takes a woman to win sometimes. I don't know if JL had any kids, but I know she was just a housewife. And you got to work what you got in your bag. She didn't have time to go to military school. She didn't have time to get a sword. She just had to work her bag. And so he comes in, and the first thing she does is she covers him. She just takes a little blankie and covers baby Huey. Because women, you know how to cover. You know how to cover. Let me put, I want you to see my blanket. She, she covers him. Say, relax. You all right? Covers him. Gets him so comfortable. He says, oh, you got some water? I'm in the text. Can I get some water? She goes. And I am convinced that she could have got water. I think she had water. But sometimes it takes a woman to win. And you got to go to your bag. She didn't get water. She gave him some milk. She said, take this milk. You know milk has properties in it that actually make you sleepy. It's also in Turkey, too. That's why at the Thanksgiving, you're like, man, I don't even know. It takes a woman to win. She gives him the milk. And before you know it, this warrior is knocked out of sleep in her tent. Sam play real pretty right through here. And now she's realizing this is my moment. This is my opportunity. She didn't have time to pray. She didn't have time to fast. She knew that sooner or later he's going to wake up. So I got to make a move. I don't know who this is for today, but God's saying the thing that has been running in your family, the thing that has been destroying generations, you have an opportunity to kill this thing. You have an opportunity to put a tent peg in its head. It might have ran in your family. It don't have to run in you if you'll have the nerve, the courage, the audacity, the boldness to say, this is my moment. She didn't have time to read a book on warfare. She didn't have time to go get a sword. She had to go with what was in her bag. And she got a hammer and a tent peg and said, this is the only opportunity that I got. Can you see her? She had to be nervous, but she still moved with stealth and strength. I can see her. She's got a warrior asleep in her tent. And she says, this is the only moment that I got. I can see her. Her palms are sweaty. Knees weak. Arms are heavy. There's vomit on her sweater already. Mom's spaghetti. She's nervous. But on the surface, she looks calm and ready to drop bombs. But she keeps on forgetting what she wrote down. Her name is J-I-L. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Y'all mad. I took you out of the spirit. But that's the reality. She only got one shot. And I don't know who this is for. You only got one shot. This is your moment. This is your season. This is your opportunity. You got to move when there is an opportunity in front of you. I only got one shot. And all of y'all that are mad that I just used that illustration, put my point back up on there. I just want to let you know, you don't get to choose. Who 
God will use, because God will use whoever he wants. Here he is, asleep. This is a warrior that has been feared for 20 years. You only get one shot to get this right. I'm trying to figure out where did she get that precision? Where did she get that accuracy and the agency? Because you only get, if you miss and he wakes up, it is over. Where did she get the steadiness of hand and accuracy of aim to get this one shot? I'll tell you where she got it. Y'all, when I studied this, it made me do backflips. I found out that our girl JL, who's married to Heber, they are Kenites. And Kenites travel from place to place. They are nomadic in nature. They didn't have a home of their own. They're kind of like Social Dallas, going from venue to venue. One week they had Gillies, the next week they had Toyota Music Factory, the next week they had Windspear. So guess what I found out? I found out that every place they went, they had to set up and tear down their tent. Set up and tear down their tent. Set up and tear down the tent. And guess who responsibility it was to set up and tear down the tent? It was not the responsibility of the men because they were at war. It was the job of the women to set up the tent and tear it down. That means our girl Jael had some practice for years. She was accurate for years. Every day she set up that tent and teared it down. It was practice for that moment. Hear me, mama. Every time you put those kids to bed at night and you wake them up in the morning, that is practice for the warrior you're raising. Every time you stand in the gap and you do stuff that people don't see or notice, it is practice. She had been practicing for years. No wonder she was accurate. Who is this for today? God told me to tell you that every moment of power is always preceded by countless hours of practice. Every moment where God uses you in one shot, there were countless moments that preceded that moment where you were being faithful day after day. She had been practicing that shot her entire life. And I just wonder if JL ever thought when she was putting up the tent and tearing it down year after year, this is pointless. this my life putting up tents and tearing them down is this my life I bet she questioned whether her life had value not knowing that every time she hit that tent peg it was practice for the one shot that would take the enemy down and out y'all the shot was so precise it didn't just go through his head 
it went through his head into the ground. Oh, who is this for today? God said, this enemy and this battle you've been facing, this is the last time you're going to see this enemy. You've been prepared for this. You've been prepared for this. God has been preparing you in the secret place. Take your shot. But you won't take the shot if you let fear and intimidation. But what do you got to lose? If he wakes up, I'm dead. If I miss, I'm dead. I better give it what I got. She took the shot. It is the moments of unseen faithfulness that prepares you. Mama, making them lunches every day is preparation. Don't just say, I'm just a mama. I'm just a housewife. I'm reminded of a mama. Her name is not mentioned in scripture, but in my exegetical imagination, she's in scripture who was probably every single day making two fish and five loaves for her little boy. It's talking about, is this my life? Making two fish and five loaves, packing it every day. Is this what my life has come to? He ain't even gonna eat the lunch anyway. <laughs> probably gonna go trade it with somebody. <laughs> Until one day, her little boy comes home. He says, mama, you ain't gonna believe what happened to my lunch. What you mean I ain't gonna believe? You didn't eat it, did you? Who you traded with? Oh, mama, I traded it with this man named Yeshua. You heard of him? Mama, he multiplied the two fish and the five loaves, and everybody was fed that day with the lunch that you packed. She didn't know the lunch that she was packing was going to feed thousands. She thought she was making it for her son. She didn't know we'd be talking about it today. You don't have a clue what God is going to do in generations to come. You just got to be faithful. She didn't know she was going to defeat a commander, but she was faithful. Oh, can I prophetically speak over our church right now? We don't got a building yet. We ain't got a building yet, but every single day we show up, every single day we serve, every sermon that is preached, every song that is lifted up God is preparing us for what we haven't even seen yet miracles signs and wonders a revival that'll break out in the city of Dallas I just gotta be faithful with every shot hey come on can you get up on your feet and give our God the most thunderous applause of praise that you got take your shot Take your shot. Your victory is on the way, but be faithful with your shot. Just gotta be faithful. Gotta be faithful. I gotta be faithful. Because every time I strike it, it's practice to defeat a giant, to defeat an enemy. Thank God for a woman that not many people talk about but she stopped the tyranny of an enemy that had been messing with the people of God for years. Sometimes, 
takes a woman to win. It takes a woman to win. I believe this message is not just for this house and the women of this house. It's for every single person that needs to step out of the shadows. You've allowed fear and intimidation to cripple you for far too long. God's saying it's time for you to take your shot. He's saying it's time for you to realize that every time you're doing the thing that seems so menial, that seems like it's not a big deal, just being a faithful husband, being a faithful wife, just showing up to church when you don't feel like it. Every single day, God said, even when humanity doesn't see it, I'm a great record keeper and I'm watching, I'm watching. And even if you don't get the recognition on this side of heaven, how many are thankful there is coming a day? There is coming a day where we shall see him in his glory. And even when we get our crown, we're still going to cast that crown off because we realize that the prize is him. He is the reward. He is the one that our soul desires. He is the one that crushed the head of the enemy. So I'm going to ask every head be bowed and eyes be closed. It's been a theme all weekend. It started with social girls and I believe God wants to continue to break it. The spirit of fear. Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. It doesn't mean you won't feel afraid. I can't tell you how many times I've walked out here, especially with what God has done in the last two years. It felt like my knees are shaking, but I've learned to feel the fear and do it anyway. And somebody in here is about to miss out on the shot that you were ordained to take because you're, gonna allow, because you're allowing fear and intimidation to stop you. So I believe God wants to break that today. I believe there's some of you that have been far from God. Maybe somebody invited you and you ain't been to church in a long time. Maybe you've been to church for years, but you've never really surrendered your life to him. You've been Heber. You're one foot in, one foot out. And God is speaking to your heart today to say, make a decision. Stop being double-minded. Stop living one way on Sunday and then your life is completely different the rest of the week. Be all the way in or all the way out. He said, I, this is the day I put before you life or death. Choose one. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Heads bowed, eyes closed today. If you'd be so honest to say, you know what? Fear has been stopping me from taking the shot that's you. Would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it? I believe God wants to break that fear off of you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you, Father. If you're here today watching online on the Pando app and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today would be an incredible day to do that. He is our JL crushed the head of the enemy, lived the life that we were supposed to live and died the death that we were supposed to die. He took our place. And you don't have to get yourself together to come to him. You just come to him 
just as you are. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I would love to include you in this closing prayer. Deshi, would you lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it? Say, I need to give Jesus my life today. I see hands all over this place today. Thank you, thank you. Social Global Family right there, even in your living room, you can respond and say, God, I'm coming to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray this prayer, but after we pray it, I want us to sing, I'm going to see a victory. And after we pray this prayer of salvation, there's some of you, especially if fear has, I'm talking about been crippling you. I think there's some of you that actually need to get out of your seat after we pray this prayer and just come find a place here at the front as we declare, I'm going to see a victory because you are declaring to yourself as you move that the fearful, intimidated, insecure you is staying in your seat and the new you is stepping boldly and courageously into what God has called you to. You don't get to choose who God will use. God will use whoever he wants. Some of you, it's not the voices of other people. It is your own voice in your head that is disqualifying you. And God said, I still chose you with your insufficiencies, with your issue. I still have a plan for your life. So we're going to pray this prayer of salvation and these altars are going to be open as we sing this song. But can we pray this first? I'm going to give you the words, but you say it from your heart. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to pay the price for my sin. Jesus, I know you lived the life that I was supposed to live. You died the death that I was supposed to die. You took my place. So my response is to surrender all of me for all of you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. From this moment forward, I'm following you. No longer afraid. I will take my shot because I know you have already given me the victory. And if you meant what you prayed, would you give God the best and the biggest and the loudest shout of praise that you got?